Hey, good morning. I think I'm up. Am I right? Awesome. Thanks, guys. Wow. Thanks, girls. Thanks, guys, for everyone, for all your efforts you're putting in this morning. And a great big welcome to everyone watching online. And uh, from me to you, let me say this. Happy Father's Day to all our dads, both in the room here and also at home, watching wherever you are. Um, I'm, I, for one, am sad that I don't get to see you in person. I'd love to give you a big Father's Day hug. But no, from us here to you there at home, we send our love. And the Holy Spirit is here and he's with you and he's able to share that same love and that same um, grace to you as we're going about this stuff. I'm just going to set myself up a bit more so I can see this screen as we go. I think I'll be all right if I move around a little bit, but that'll be all right. So good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, week five of our series that we've been working on called Church Transformation. And I've... I've been having some fun as we do this, and uh, as you've been at home, hopefully you've been unpacking and going through the scriptures and looking at the things that we've been talking about together over this season, and um, I've been really, really encouraged, and uh, yes, all things are going well, I believe. Um, I think God's grace is sufficient for us in our time and in the moments that we take as we step out in faith you know the holy spirit's leading us each day if we open ourselves up to him and uh, trust me i know because i'm a weak and frail vessel and uh, i know how much the holy spirit is leading me through these times and how he's leading us as a church to unpack these important things so like i said god's grace is sufficient if only we would step out in trusting him amen that's how what happened when peter spoke stepped out of the boat and, and walked on water he trusted jesus and he was empowered miracle and that's what we about as we understand and unpack change work through the shifts of the importance that the lord has been leading us through over the past four or five years here with our church and we've been looking over the last few weeks around uh ideas of embracing change and uh, two significant shifts that we've been taking together as a church. And, uh, and uh, we want to just unpack those really quickly now, if we may. I can't change that. Am I supposed to be on this one? Yeah, all right. Your mind thing is on, yeah. We just probably need to get published on that one. It's all good, guys. Things changed a little bit this morning, but we can get there. There we go. Thanks, guys. Um, <clears throat> so our first shift was really having to look at uh, that we needed to make a power shift. And the power shift was this one thing around becoming a praying community. And uh, we've got there, it says, because power belongs to our God. It is a strategic shift from self-confidence to a greater dependence on God through prayer. And uh, I really love that. And uh, I really love the fact that we as a church can continue to build our prayer uh, as a corporate body and as individual members within the church and look forward to each opportunity that our prayer team is working on. And uh, I'm going to say in confidence as a step of faith and in boldness that our prayer team under uh, Ministry Coordinator Hannah uh, and Micah this week will be hosting a Zoom prayer meeting on the Wednesday night. So uh, as a corporate prayer, we normally gather together and uh, I'm getting the thumbs up over here, so it must be going to work. We, uh, we, we're going to host our corporate prayer meeting uh, 
this week over Zoom. A few little hiccups, but at the same time, I think it's great for us to be able to see one another's face and to press into a few prayer points together and encourage one another through Zoom. So hopefully we can get that one working. And I know with our guys, we'll be pushing on for that because we need to be creative in seasons like this. And uh, prayer is one of those ways we can be creative. The second uh, shift we discussed is a priority shift. This was last week from inreach to outreach. And uh, it was it's this shift of becoming an evangelistic community. And I know that sounds simple, uh, that these two things, uh, looking at prayer and evangelism, but they're two very distinct things that we can do to see faith, hope and love arise in Griffith and our community. We must prioritise becoming a soul-winning church. And you can see that these two work hand in hand. It's, it's pointless going to try and share the gospel unless you are in faith praying that the gospel would move forward. And it's pointless praying unless we are willing to get outside of our comfort zones and to be a mouthpiece for God in sharing the love, the love and the gospel for him in our community. These two things working together bring the good news. And you can see there that picture, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Praise the Lord. And uh, I, I for one have beautiful feet. I don't know about you, but I have beautiful feet until you get to my little toe. And my family love that and they can have a laugh at home because it is Father's Day and I'm allowed to be corny. Amen. Come on, you can shout in the room, those in the room. You can say amen in the microphone. Amen. can hear you today. There you go. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if you've missed any of our talks over the last few weeks, um, you can jump on our, our church app or on our YouTube page. They're all there. You can catch up on them. Uh, or you can listen to them for a second time and, and go back over and, and look at the scriptures and see the things that the Lord is doing as we do so. So let me encourage you to do that if we can. Which leads us really to shift number three, which is a program shift. This is our third topic that we're looking at. There's seven shifts in all that race and Lord has led us to. Uh, probably most of those shifts sense of a change in emphasis. Now we discussed this way back in 2015. I was reflecting on it during the week when Pastor Rodney and I were uh, working towards uh, a transition in leadership here at the church. We talked about investing in our group ministry, changing focus and seeing more groups start up. And those of us who were with us back then, uh, five, six years ago, might remember that we had a push for groups and uh, we started new groups and all different things like that. Why? Because group ministry is an area of passion for my life, but it's also something that's important for the church. And as a leader in the church, I know how important it is. Yet, just something that we have to ponder upon, I feel that in the post-Christian world that we're living in at this stage, we've become a little bit distracted around this area of the small group or the midweek meeting or the opportunity to gather with Christians outside of the home or inside of the home. And it's just a, it's a tactic that Satan has successfully employed to cause uh, a shift or a refocus in the church from our focus on Jesus and our focus on loving one another back to a focus on ourselves. 
us in ourselves, what happens is we begin to fear and we begin to unpack things from our limited perspective. And like I said before, I'm a broken and limited vessel. But in Jesus, he gives me the grace. And as I keep my eyes on him, in Jesus, I'm able to overcome these things because I can do all things through Christ. Amen. I can do those things which yes. seem impossible. In my weakness, God proves himself strong. So when my focus is taken off of him and sharing his love, what happens is I become inherently focused on myself. And that's what happens and is happening when you look across this post-Christian world that we're living in at the moment. And, uh, and what happens is the church health takes a hit and uh, kingdom expansion begins to slow down. And we're working through this book uh, called Transforming the Church by uh, Mark Connor. And like I said, these concepts are not new in any way, shape or form, but they've helped us unpack some of this stuff and helping us to continue to do this. Uh, the, today's concepts have sat so well with me in the way that Pastor Mark has written this in the book. We're going to have a little segment in, our, in my sermon today, really, titled Reading with Pastor Steve. And uh, so we're going to do a few pages reading and really keep up with what's going on. Hey, what's that? Needs a jingle. Needs a little jingle. Maybe we could put a jingle <laughs> over the top during the week in the, in the recording. Anyway, so I want to encourage you. Let's open up our hearts. And uh, I know that was a great big introduction, but let's uh, let's just turn our attention to Jesus for a moment. Open our hearts and, uh, and, and open our minds because we have to hear with our mind as well as hearing with our heart. Because if we don't hear with our heart, transformation is impossible. And if we don't process with our mind, transformation is impossible. So we need to hear both through the heart and through the mind to see God shift us in ways that he's leading us. So let's just commit this time to the Lord. Father, we come before you, firstly, and acknowledge that Father's Day is a day where we get to say thank you to you. How amazing that Jesus would come and reveal you as Father. Thank you, Holy God. As a Father, you love us and you, you, you reach out to us in love. You've sent us Jesus to remind us of who we are and how we have been called to live a life in relationship with you. You have given us the Holy Spirit who reminds us each day of who we are and who we belong to. So first we acknowledge you and we thank you, God. And we pray today that you would open our hearts and you would help us to open our minds that we would hear these little simple concepts, but Lord, that they would reaffirm in our hearts the things that you have said from day one. Reaffirm in our hearts what it is to be a Christian, to be in relationship with God, to be a son and a daughter of the Most High, and to be in relationship with one another. We pray, Lord, open our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So program shift really is this. It's uh, becoming a caring community and uh, this is a big thing at the moment becoming a caring community how do we do this they're big questions that i'm asking and continually pushing out and around because this is one area that i felt has been under challenge by our enemy a church community that appears to be uncaring must begin to change this appearance and uh I think in reflection on this, what I've come to understand is we seem to have the shortest fuse with those we love the most. 
when you're feeling stressed and you're starting to unpack certain things and and let me say stress and and concern is a huge thing in this day and age what happens when you come home from work and you've got all this stress on home and the home might be messy and the kids want to spend time with you and all of that sort of stuff going on in your life whatever pressure it might be in your life i can tell you the first person you snap at is the person you love the most why because you're familiar you love each other But that doesn't make it right, does it? And we must check ourselves at times when, when our reactions or our actions come to a place that do not focus or are founded upon love. And, and I'm, I'm immensely guilty of this. At times I can come in and I can be really short with my family when I don't want to be. And I've got to unpack that and go and process that and take 10 minutes out and go and pray and say, God, forgive me in my heart. There's something in my heart that I've got to process and deal with. Help me to be the caring person you want me to be. And I think I think this is one of the biggest areas that's in challenge at the moment, especially from a friendship perspective. People who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we have something in common. That that commonality is Jesus. The foundation is Christ. And when we when we unpack our foundation, we have to come to this agreement that our yeah. foundation is founded upon love. Yeah. And that love is it causes familiarity. And when we're familiar with people, what begins to is our respect and honour for those people. It's like God constantly reminds the Hebrew people in the Old Testament to love and honour their parents. Because as kids, we take for granted our parents and we should love and honour and respect our parents. Is this making any sense? I hope it is. So what happens is, because we react and we don't deal with those reactions quickly by going to our brother or going to our mother or going to our son and daughter or going to our sister, if we don't deal with those things quickly, the enemy gets in and he causes offence. And that offence becomes taken on board and it breaks down what is supposed to be a loving, caring Community and it happens so in families all the time, but even more so, it happens in the family of God. And we have to be above board, and we have to be above reproach, and we have to be open and honest and repentant before God, so that we can live as Jesus in these things. So we're going to think about this stuff of shifting to becoming a caring community. Scripture shares it like this: This is Jesus' focus when it comes to. His commandments in the New Testament. John 13, 34, 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So loving and caring and, and being content with the relationships that God has put us in is a key to becoming a caring community. Now just a slight shift, I want to make an observation or I've been observing. In the 20th century, and now we're in the 21st century, it hasn't shifted too much. We've seen a trend across the church, and this is probably more so in the Western church, but which, which impacts us. But what this trend is, 
is that church has become a place or an event that we attend. Much like a football game, if you go to a footy match or if you go and attend a concert um, or you go to the theatre, something like that. <clears throat> and, and I've observed this, but I can say that that's not the way God purposed it. In fact, if that's the way the church has become in the context of our minds and the way we treat church as, a, as something that we come and make a transaction and we leave, then, then we've severely missed God's heart in the purpose of his church. If we wanted as a church pew warmers, then we've severely mistreated and misrepresented scripture. We've severely misrepresented what Jesus has said. Because I don't show love when I attend the movie theatre, the cinema. Or I don't show love. I might show love for the football team if I go and cheer them on. But I don't share love for the things, uh, for the people, I'm showing love for the things. I might come into church and I might love the atmosphere or I might love the aesthetics or I might love the coffee afterward or I might love the food that's shared in missions chaos or I might love the friendly hello that I might receive from a friend or a neighbour. But am I attending church for the right reason? It's a big question and it's an observation, I think, in our post-Christian world, this, this, this modern thing that's come in where church has become a transaction. So much so that you can do church in a sense in the way that you're thinking in this way on your own. You can listen to your favourite playlist and then you can plug in your earpods and you can listen to your favourite preacher from the other side of the world and you have a transaction but you don't have influence and you're not able to commit and you're not able to contribute and they're not able to contribute into your life at a personal level. Can you understand where I'm coming from? It's a misrepresentation of scripture. We don't attend church. We are the church. And this is how it's presented in scripture. Church is much more than a place we gather for an event. We don't serve popcorn for a reason. Our volunteers who greet you with a smile or who try and make your experience at church one that is easy to deal with when it comes to maybe uh, teaching your children the ways of the Lord or bringing an a empowered and passionate worship set, uh, those who bring the word, they're not there because you're paying them to be there. They're there because they love Jesus. They greet you at the door with a smile because they know that that greeting is the Lord greeting you or them greeting the Lord. These these gatherings, church gatherings, are truly a place where we're able to closely network as a people in service to Jesus. And I think that's the key, in service to Jesus. Each person that walks through those doors are called and gifted to be ministries the kingdom of God and if we walk in with a mindset that says that I want to just sit and receive what happens is the people around you are missing out on what you're able to contribute and bring Mark Connor said it like this in his book 
Genuine loving relationship provide the care that people need and the context in which life transformation can take place. It has to be found in this genuine loving relationship that Jesus is talking about when we read John 34. And I want to read that again for us as it comes up on the screen. A new commandment. This is Jesus' words. We've got to remember where this comes from. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You could be praying all you like. You could be sharing the gospel all you like. But if it's not in the bond of love, we're wasting our time. Jesus says that we will be known by our love. So the church is God's new community that is to be known by its love and quality of relationships between its people. And this is so relevant right now. So many people are at home, lost, not sure what's going on, scared because of the news. And yet you belong to a community that loves you dearly. How does this look in the New Testament? We see some distinguishing guidelines for the church in Acts 2. It's a very important scripture for us if you've been around life source for, for any period of time. Acts 2.42 verse 41 to 47 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me say about devotion for a moment. When you break that word down, what it really means is, uh, the King James puts it as, continue steadfastly so it talks about not just a devotion it's it's this i'm continually remaining in this place that is earnest desire it's a it's the the strength to persevere and constantly be diligent to attend that of which you are committed to so this is what they're saying that they are constantly being diligent to remain and attend the things and the purposes of God. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So it's not just one or the other, it's both. It's the apostles' teaching, scriptures, and to fellowshipping with people of like mind. To the breaking of bread, so taking of communion, and to prayers. And or, listen to what happened as a result. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. I love that. Verse 45 is something that I think is extremely difficult in our day and age. But back then, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out upon the church, this is the result. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Do you hear how the Lord led them from a removal of focus on self to the focus of the expansion of the kingdom and meeting the needs in love? Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who had been saved. Loving others, it really is a sign of maturity. It takes maturity to be able to love those who have hurt you or love those 
whom are unlovable. Loving those whom God loves. That, that, that's a sign of maturity. Let me ask you this, church. Have you ever thought about what makes a mature church? These are seven thoughts that come from this book that, that we're talking about. Seven common answers that are heard when you ask the church what is the signs of a mature church. The first is an active church. This is, this is what people believe about the church, that a church is active, a place where a lot of things happen in serving and putting on events. A sign of maturity or a growing is a, is a growing church. Can I just say that not all growth reveals health? Because a cancer cell is growth within the body that shouldn't be there. And sometimes you've got to deal aggressively with the cancer cell. So don't see growing as a church as the only sign of maturity. Number three, a giving church is seen as a sign of, of, of maturity. Number four, a soul-winning church. You know, there's churches out there who win hundreds of souls a year and yet they still might only have 20 or 30 people attending the church. So is that a sign of maturity? I don't know. Number five, a mission-minded church is a, is a sign of maturity as the common thought. Number six, a, a smooth-running church. Now, wouldn't that be blissful? Things just running, operating. Like, just look at today. Things not running uh, smoothly, but as a team, we're able to open that up and unpack that and show lovingly that we can overcome all things together. So is a smooth-running church a sign of maturity? Or what about this one, a spirit-filled church, the seventh one there? Come on. We all, we have all of these qualities as a church. Let me say that for starters. We have all of these qualities as a church, which is so good. They're definitely things that are present within a mature church, but these are not the indicators of maturity. We may have all of these things, but the Apostle Paul leads us to evaluate one clear quality. In his letters, what thrilled him the most when he wrote to the church was the evidence of faith, hope and love. And the most important of these was love. That's why the most amazing scripture or the most amazing passage of scripture is found in any authority on the book on love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. It is still uh, remarked on today by uh, theologians and philosophers and all sorts of people that look into history as one of the true and most accurate passages of love that can come out and be written ever to have been written. This, this 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter on love is, is right in the middle of when Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. I, I love that so much, that God would use love as the motivator to keep our pride as individuals in check. Could you imagine that God would heal someone through you or that God would raise someone from the dead through you? How in your flesh your pride would want to rise up. But in reality, your humility to God turns it as an act of love and shows that God loves humanity. I just, I just, you know, Paul talks about 
um, the clanging single and the noise symbol and the noisy gong and all of that sort of stuff and it's like without love we're nothing without love all of the good deeds that we do is nothing Love. Because love that's not expressed and love that does not bring fruit is truly not love at all. And you see, this is how God leads us. Love is to be the most important concern of both the individual and the broader church. So I said we're going to do a segment on reading with Pastor Steve. And let's settle in. Pull your blankets up for a little bit. And uh, that's good. We've got one with blankets on. I hope the rest of you have got some blankets on your couch at home. It's gotten a little bit cool today. But I want to read to you a couple of, maybe three pages out of this book. Pastor Mark Connor has said, written this in a way that, you know, I could try and put my words on it, but really it wouldn't have the same impact as what this truly says. To be as one, I said, inspiring faith imparting hope and expressing love. Let me begin here. Faith is the confidence and trust that a local church has in Jesus Christ. See how he's brought it to the congregation and not to the individual. Hope is the optimism and sense of security that a local church has, especially in regard to their present and future relationship to God through Jesus Christ. That's important. And love refers to the relationship that exists in a local church as well as the way that local group relates to all people. In essence, love is the manifestation of Christ-like behaviour by a group of believers. Out of these three important qualities, the greatest or most important is love. It is greater than status, power, success or money. Love is the essential nature of God himself and love is to be the primary concern of each Christian and each local church. In all that we do in church, we must be careful not to neglect this important quality of love. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians and the Thessalonians, he began his letters by thanking God for the love that was being reflected in each church. You just read the beginning, opening chapters of those letters. But when he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he made no mention of love in his opening remarks. He only thanked God for the grace being manifest among them, for they were a very gifted church. However, they were not mature. They were still baby Christians who had not yet grown up. They were not a loving community. They were carnal and selfish and therefore had to rebuke them. 
The church at Corinth had many spiritual gifts, but they had no life. They were gifted, yet immature. That's why Paul wrote the great chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13. Everything they did reflected carnality, not love. He contrasts their weakness with reflections of what true love is really like. The seven things here. They were impatient with each other and unkind in their attitudes toward each other. There were serious divisions and quarrels taking place in the church. In contrast, true love is patient and kind. They were envious and proud. They were boastful and jealous of each other. Love does not envy. It does not boast and it is not proud. Number three, they were putting each other down and using their gifts to glorify themselves. True love is not rude or self-seeking. Number four, they were actually taking each other to court before non-Christian judges. No one was wise enough to settle a dispute between believers. In contrast, love is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Number five, they were wrong. Uh, sorry, they were wronging and defrauding each other and there was immorality in the church. They were not filled with grief over their own sin. In contrast, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Number six, they were insensitive to weaker members and they were not protecting each other, thereby causing others to stumble. Do you remember? They were eating when the... Um, when outside and eat, some people were eating so much and other people were getting none. They were insensitive. True love always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. And lastly, they emphasize spiritual gifts rather than love as a sign of maturity. In reality, gifts are temporary and will pass away. Love alone will remain and continue. When measured against the standards of true Christian love, the Corinthians fell short on every count. The New Testament gives us a direct command to love others over 55 times. God wants our love to grow and mature. Philippians 1, 9 to 11. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 to 10. And there's more. 1 Peter 1, 21 to 22. The greatest commandments are about love because life is all about loving God and loving people. And how often do you hear that from our mouths? Love is more than a feeling, an attraction or a passionate drive. It is a decision to do good to another person and it often involves attitude and actions that must be expressed in spite of personal feelings. Jesus went to the cross because he loved us, not because he relished the feeling of incredible pain he would have to go through. Love is demonstrated through qualities such as patience, kindness, unselfishness, humility, forgiveness, honesty, unity, peace and righteousness. The church is to be a caring community of mutual loving relationships. Our deepest need is to be loved to be accepted and to be forgiven. And our pastors are reading a book exactly on those topics at the moment. People need care more than they need excitement. They need to belong, not just believe. Unfortunately, many churches have crowded pews, but lonely people. And when I first read this all those years ago, 
And I noted this. This was my prayer. Not on my watch, please, Lord. Not on my watch, please, Lord. You see, I, I want to guard this stuff with all of my heart, with all of my efforts. And, and I want to be able to inspire those people around me to do the same. So we look at maturity and we look at becoming a caring community and we've got to understand that God has a church program to follow and we read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. But God works out his purposes through two real areas in the church. It's not one or the other, it's both. The first is this, the large gathering. God's purposes are seen on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a midweek church meeting, whatever it is, in the large gathering, which can be seen as the temple in the New Testament or the celebration here in today's day and age. Our Sunday services are to be a celebration of all things God and what he's doing in our life. And the second is that God works his purposes through the small gathering or the house or the cell or in our context or our language, the growth group. Why? Because we need both. The picture I got as I was reading this, and there's a second that comes from the book, I want to give us both. The first picture I got was I was thinking about it in sports terms. Think about a cricket team. You've got a whole cricket team out on the field. 11 uh, is the team. And then you've got two of the opponents in at the crease. If you think about it from the batman, batsman's perspective, you need two people at the wickets. One at one end of the crease and one at the other end of the wicket. And you've got the batsman strikes the ball and yet and begins to run. But you know that batsman, the run is not counted unless the runner, the guy or the girl at the other end crosses in the middle of the pitch to get to the other end. And when they reach, they tap their bat down in the crease and we know that they're safe and a run has been counted. And the whole point of the batsman is to score runs. You see, the batsman needs the runner to be able to score the run. He can't do it on his own. She can't do it on her own. It's two sides. And without both people pulling their weight and doing their work, the run cannot be scored. They cannot move forward and they cannot win the match. Well, that's, that's my simple analogy here of the two things working, the meeting and the meeting in the home, the large corporate meeting and the meeting in the home. But another analogy that Mark Connor writes comes from the book is a good one as well. It's, he sees it as like the two wings of a bird. Both wings are necessary to stay balanced in flight and to get forward movement for the animal. If we overemphasize one of these areas over the other, like the bird, for example, the bird flapping strongly with one, up, one wing and the other wing is just sort of limp and not happening at all, that bird will tumble, but it will tumble in a circular motion because it won't get momentum, it won't go forward, it will just keep going round and around and around until it falls out of the sky. It overemphasizes one thing. 
And you can't overemphasize grow groups over the church meeting. And you can't do the opposite. You can't overemphasize the church meeting over the small group meeting because you need both. Both operating within the context of church life to be uh, moving forward, taking ground for the kingdom of God. Two simple pictures, but I think you can understand where I'm coming from. Many examples of this are seen through scripture of the large and the small gathering. I didn't put them up on the screen for us, but this, these are, I've got three really that stick out as examples for us. And that's what they're meant to be. The first is the nation of Israel. Almost three million people had arrived at the gathering. And God instituted feasts every year so that they could all gather in one place. Three of these, it was mandatory for all of them to be in Jerusalem, for example. Celebrations of God and his constant love bestowed on them. That's what the feasts were all about. Yet when we look at Exodus and Numbers, and even later in their history, we see they were organized into 12 tribes, which were further broken down into clans and even family units. God cared so much for the individual that he wanted them to belong first to a family, so much so he even included the outsiders into the family units. So we see here there is the major gatherings of the entire nation and there are the smaller gatherings all the way down through tribes and clans, even to family units, husbands and wives with their kids. Um, husbands and wives with not just their kids, but also their servants or their, um, their friends that have been brought in to the fold. So that's a very simple thing. Moses even appointed leaders of tens and all the way up to leaders of thousands to help mobilize and care for such a huge community. Leaders of tens and leaders of thousands. All are required in the kingdom of God. Amen. Number two, Jesus is another example of the same thing. Could you imagine? Jesus took the multitudes that followed him. We're talking thousands. There are occasions when Jesus would feed 5,000 men, excluding the women and children from the number, but yet they were fed as well. It could have been up to 12, 13,000 people. That's a big crowd. There were 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost praying and waiting for God. He, he sent out the 72. He chose 12 disciples to spend the majority of his time with. And even from the 12, there was the inner three. James, John and Peter. We see Jesus devoting the majority of his time, though, with the small group of 12. He was, uh, this was his major priority, and yet he taught, celebrated, fed, prayed, and ministered to the multitude, both very important in the ministry of Jesus. The early church is the final example. So we've got Israel, we've got Jesus as the ultimate example, and now we've got the early church, who we are supposed to be like. 
The early church in Acts 2 reveals a similar pattern. They came together weekly on a Sunday. Sundays were called the Lord's Day. Why? Because Saturday was the Sabbath. It was the day of gathering in the temple for the Jews. So Sunday became the Lord's Day. And they would gather in the temple as large in the large gatherings. They would gather they would even gather in synagogues at times if they were allowed to use them. In the large gatherings. <clears throat> they gathered daily in their homes, in small gatherings. And we see both the gathering of the broad church and the gathering of the groups within the church. And that was a local community church. Okay? Being able to handle the growth and increase that God brought in daily by managing it in the large crowd and by bringing them into caring communities in the small home. We individually must stay focused on this. If we focus on one side, then we will definitely hinder God's purpose for his church and will significantly miss the mark on achieving his purpose. If we individually prioritise the large weekly celebration gatherings, and look to build a place where we can all meet under one roof. Imagine that, one service in the morning where we could have all of us together and still have our regular social distancing and things and look to find a small group of people whom we relate to and can grow up into all things with Christ with, then that's worth putting our priorities toward. Both wings of the bird, both runners to score the run, in a cricket match, a place where we're able to participate, contribute and find the care that we need to know that we belong. So why celebration events? And uh, I want to finish here today. About halfway through prepping this message, um, it became very apparent that this is something that I'm passionate about, but it also became very apparent that one message around this Two areas was not going to suffice. So I want to focus lastly as I conclude just on the celebration event today. And next Sunday in part two, I want to look at uh, the home group meeting and, and understand that a little bit more. So halfway through, I was able to change it as it dawned upon me. But today, in concluding, I've got three things I want to say in relation to the celebration event, the Sunday morning, the Sunday night, the gathering together, of the church because these two areas require equal attention <clears throat> as I do let me read a little bit out of this book again it says why celebration events a celebration event is when the entire local church gathers together. Something special happens when a lot of people gather together with a hunger to meet with God. It is to be a time of celebration characterised by enthusiasm, excitement, inspiration and joy. There are many reasons to gather together with other Christians in a celebration event. To minister to the Lord through corporate prayer and worship. I love that one. Number two, to receive teaching from God's word. Number three, to outwork our God-given corporate purpose and direction. Number four, to fellowship with other believers. Number five, 
to demonstrate our unity as a group of believers, and number six, to invite unchurched friends so they can hear the gospel. <clears throat> and there's some very important keys to creating dynamic church meetings. And this is where we're going to finish with these three keys, if I may, today. Celebration events. The first one in these words is our attitude is to be that we gather together unto the Lord first of all. We are not just attending a church meeting. God has called us out of our homes first of all. He has made an appointment with us, I should say, and expects us to be there. Did you hear that? God has set an appointment for us. And it's a weekly appointment, at least once, where we are to gather together as one body to focus and to uplift the Lord our God. It's a time where we are called out of our homes to celebrate Jesus. And God made the appointment. I, I can't stress that enough. When God makes the appointment, I think we do a huge disservice to ourselves when we fail to keep the appointment. Matthew 18, 19 to 20, Jesus said, Again, I say to you, if two or three, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I love that because there's usually two people in a home. Sorry if there's only one person in your home, but you can find someone very quickly who can make agreement with you in today's day and age. But there's usually at least two people in a home from the, from the most and majority part of this. Verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered, so now we're starting to talk the multiples, in my name, there I am among them. It's a space where God can gather with his people, with his sons and his daughters, for those six things that I mentioned as I read in the book. It's God's appointment with you weekly to meet with your brothers and sisters. Now we can all do that daily on our own. We can all do that on the morning and an evening with God, prioritizing our personal relationship with him. But God wants to do that with his church. He's called out bodies, his individual members coming together to form one body that glorifies him. So what is my attitude? What is your attitude to the weekly gathering? I think it's a big chest and a big challenge for us today. The second one, why celebration events, is we are to be committed to attending celebration events regularly. The reality, Christians who tend to neglect church meetings tend to drift in their faith. Where's your faith at? Where's your expectation? Are you growing in your expectation of seeing the church and its major purpose in a kingdom expansion moving forward? Or are you being discouraged? You can listen to a thousand podcasts a week and I can tell you, you can be discouraged. You can still be discouraged. But when the church meets together, your faith is encouraged. Your expectation increases. You celebrate God. And God is in the midst. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up or stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, you've heard me write about this, you've heard me say it. The amount of times people are coming up to me and asking me about the mark of the beast and is Jesus coming back and what's in the vaccine and should I do this and blah, 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 all the times. Look, as you see the day drawing near, you should think about meeting more regularly with people who are like-minded. And yet, more and more people in this post-Christian world are attending church less and less. We need to buck this trend. We need to come to this place and say, you know what? God has called me to be in a place where I can contribute and where I can be encouraged all the more as the day draws near. Anytime God turns up in a sense of, of visitation, which some people call revival, I tell you one of the major things that happen is they meet daily in the corporate. And yet we can't even meet monthly at times when it comes to the corporate gathering. Come on, guys. We've got to get this one right. The last thing I... Oh, there's a scripture here also. Just for those of you that want uh, to look at this even in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament gives us uh, clues to the new. It says this in Leviticus. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Do you know that word, holy convocations, is practically the same word as what we use for church? Different language, absolutely. But it's a calling out and a gathering together of those with one purpose. Amen? So it's a holy convocation. Even in the Old Testament, we see that God has called out his church to come together. And at that time, it was called the Sabbath. In our time, we call it a celebration event of the Lord's Day, where we take communion together most times. Amen? And then this last point, the third point, a big passage of scripture here I want to read to us, but we, when we think about celebration events, the third thing is we are to attend these gatherings with an attitude of faith and expectation. This releases God to work in a powerful way. I'm going to read that again. We are to attend these gatherings with an attitude of faith and expectation. This releases God to work in a powerful way. When there is complacency and apathy, even God is limited in what he can do. Just go and check that out when you look at the story of Jesus in Mark 6, 5 and 6. Dynamic gatherings require an anointing that comes only with faith, expectation and honour. Man, honour is something that has gone by the wayside in our post-Christian world. We need to work hard for faith, expectation and honour in the house of God. Hebrews 12, 18 to 29. It's a big passage of scripture, but I feel I need to read it to us. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and a darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. This is talking about Sinai. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble and fear. And Moses was a friend of God. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, 
the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Come on. These are the celebration points. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Fear, reverence, honour, expectation, faith. These are things that can only be seen in the corporate gathering to inspire us on for the things of God. In the corporate gathering, we are reminded that our foundation is secure. It is founded upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. And when our foundation is secure, when that shaking comes of heaven and earth, we will not be shaken out. Why? Because we are together in godly fear for what he has done. God is a consuming fire, church. This is the challenge. And when we're able to meet again, when we're able to come out of our health restrictions, we should be ecstatic to come together in the presence of our Lord. So much so that maybe we should plan a massive event of praise and worship for all the churches to come together. Who knows? But we should come with full honour and faith and expectation that God, who is able to shake the heavens and the earth, will not shake his church that we fall out because it is founded upon Jesus. This is the place that anointing will flow and we will see the wonderful power of God in breakthrough. Let us pray, church. Let us pray because we cannot any longer forsake the gathering of the saints. We cannot for any longer forget what God has done. We cannot for any longer take for granted the foundation stone, the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ in our life. If we want a caring community, if we want a community that is based upon faith, hope and love with its, with its majority focus on love, and we must call out to God. Jesus, we come before you today with holy reverence and godly fear. We expect and have faith that you have called us to be a community of faith, hope and love. We believe, Lord God, that you empower us each day to do so. Holy Spirit, we invite you to go through our homes to test our hearts to challenge us, Lord, for where we have lost focus, where we have failed to meet together, or where we have failed to offer grace and love 
and we have operated in the flesh and brought judgment upon Father, we come before you with hearts wide open and we